peace, not a God of confusion. So we like to, we like to find our place in God. In God. He is the rock in the storm. He is the eye of the storm. Sometimes he's the source of the storm. But he's taking us to a better place. So, uh, we're gonna, we're going to, um, end our series today. It's the last message in our, our, our series on the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday, we have our missionary from Brazil coming in, Philip Murdoch. His wife, Renee Murdoch, if you remember, she was in the pulpit last year. She was attacked by a homeless man down in Rio, Brazil, on the beach when she was taking a morning jog, uh, and she had a 1% chance of living. And, uh, her, her testimony went all over the world. And now she's going all over the world talking about the healing power of Jesus Christ. She wrote a book called It's a Beautiful Day. It's out on the book table. Her husband, Philip, a good friend of ours, is going to be here next Sunday. And um, he wants to start a dream center down in Rio. A dream center is a, a center that reaches out to people with shattered dreams in the inner city. Uh, they have one um, up in L.A., a Matthew a Barnett, Tommy Barnett's son, if you know these people. Uh, anyway, so he's going up to L.A., He's going to check out the Dream Center, and he's going to come down here. Hope and I are going to have dinner with him Saturday night. He's going to be right here in the pulpit next Sunday morning. And then the following Sunday, we're going to launch a new series called World Changers. And I'm talking about you. I'm talking about us. And that's going to take us up to Easter, where we'll talk about the world changer, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection from the dead. So, but today, I'm really looking forward to laying this last message into our hearts and our minds and expecting the Holy Spirit to do great things. So let's pray, and let's jump in. Jesus, we love you in this house. We are unashamed of you, absolutely unashamed of you, as you were unashamed of us when you hung on that cross naked in public. You did that so we could be saved. We will thank you forever. But today, Lord, here we are in the earth, slugging it out, being the salt and light of the world in a very hostile environment. And we ask you this morning, Jesus, to encourage us, strengthen us, give us wisdom, fill us with your Holy Spirit. So we can leave this place full of the love of God, full of the peace of Christ, and with a message of hope on our lips. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. 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 Well, that was kind of worth it. She can go home now. All right, so how many of you want to experience more of God? Just raise your hand. And it's a sincere question. You want to experience more of God. What does that mean? Well, more of God's power, his wisdom, his peace, his love, provision, protection, presence, joy, guidance, friendship. For those who say, no, I'm not really interested. Well, that would communicate to me that you want to experience more weakness, dumbness, stress, hate, fear, poverty, vulnerability, loneliness, depression, confusion, and betrayal. I want as much of God as I can get. I need more of his power, his wisdom, his peace, his love, his provision, his protection, his presence, his joy, his guidance, his friendship. And the Holy Spirit is the source of all of these things. Every single thing you have ever experienced from heaven was administered to you by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it this way. It is better for you that I go away. The reason is Jesus can only be in one place at one time with only a certain limited group of people in his human form. But once he went away, once he died for our sins, rose from the dead, and he's at the right hand of the Father, then he said, 
And the Spirit of God came into the earth, and everybody that raises their hand and says, I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, immediately the Holy Spirit goes into your soul, and you are what Jesus calls being born again. And God lives inside of you, and you become a son or a daughter of God instantaneously in that moment. It's not church membership. It's not religion. It is a supernatural, born-again experience by the Spirit of, of the living God whose source is from God. So the Holy Spirit is a source of all of these things. And from that moment of inception of the new birth, you begin to experience a growing experience of God's power, his wisdom, his love, his forgiveness, his mercies, on and on and on and on until we see him face to face. That's some good news, isn't it? Well, that's the gospel. So how do you, how do we then experience more of God? How do we get there from here? It's going to sound really simple, but it is really simple. You have to let God know that you want more. You have to let God know that you want more. You see, God is like a river of water flowing underneath the surface of our lives. And the key is to tap into him. How many of you know what a pump looks like? You remember a pump? The old, old pump. You know, I got a picture just in case you needed help. So there's the pump. That's a water pump. Do you know what that pump is for? If you live in Ramona, it's a no-brainer, right? There's a river. You, there, you, you, drill, you drill down until you tap the water beneath the surface, and then you take that handle. And how many, how many of you know when you start pumping that handle, what happens at first? Nothing. Well, I prayed once and he didn't answer me. Well, wah, wah, cry yourself a river. Come on. Really? One little prayer? Well, I tithed once and then I lost my job. Yeah, well, that's the enemy and you just got to keep at it. Well, I, you know, I tried to pray in tongues and it just, you know, it didn't happen for me. You got to pump the well. You've got to let God know I'm serious about this. I want you. I need you. I'm coming after you. And you take that prayer, you take the word, you take your praise, you take your financial giving, you take whatever it is, uh, whatever, whatever you're using to pursue God, and you start pumping that handle, and you just don't stop. You go after God, and God loves it. God loves it. He could burst forth in a second, but he doesn't on purpose because, he's once, because you're developing something. You're developing something while you're pumping that handle. Something good is happening on the inside of you. You're setting aside other things in life. You have to borrow energy and time and focus and distractions. You've got to borrow from these other things so that you can focus on pumping that well. So what's happening inside of you is dedication and prioritization of God. And then what happens after you've been pumping in a while? Do you know what happens with that pump? No, not at first. First is... But listen, a little bit of God's spittle will change your life. I mean, if God just gives you a little spittle. When God spits on you, you know you've been spit on by something divine. And you just keep pumping that thing until that water begins to flow out of there. And now you're in the flow. Now, what happens if you let go of the handle? The water goes back down. He's always there. But he wants interaction. He wants interaction. So how do you get more of God? You just keep 
the handle. And it's so much easier once you get that water flowing, once you get your prayer life on track again, once you get your going to church life on track again, once you get your praise on track again, you start giving to the things of Christ again. And you get that, you get that handle flowing, you get that rhythm in your life and the flow of God's water, the Holy Spirit just is flowing through your life. And this is what I love about God. When you get derailed, you get distracted, you get into sin, you get into shame, you kind of get knocked out of the game, the river's always there. The river of God's always there. All you got to do is get back, pump that handle again, and then start spitting on you. And that water starts flowing again. You say, well, that sounds like work. That sounds like works. Yeah, it is. It's like a relationship. Right? Stop your date night and see how the romantic water level of the Holy Spirit flows in your marriage. Right? Oh, honey, come on. We don't need a date night anymore. We've been married for 10 years. You know, we know, you know I love you. Who needs a Valentine's Day card? Seriously. I mean, you know I love you, right? Stop calling your wife in the middle of the day. Stop texting her. That sounds like work. Yeah. Keep telling your husband what he's doing wrong. Don't encourage him. Don't tell him what he's doing right. Don't affirm him. And see what happens. You see, relationships take a little bit of effort to keep the romance flowing. Can I hear an amen? It's the same with God. God's not a robot. He's not a cash register in the sky. He's not some cosmic force. We're made in his image. Everything you feel, he feels. He's relational. He's emotional. He's intelligent. And he pursues you, and he wants you to pursue him. Look what the Bible says regarding the gifts of the Spirit. Pursue love and, say it out loud, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love and say the word out loud. Desire spiritual gifts. That word desire means to be zealous for, to burn with desire, to pursue ardently, to desire eagerly or intensely. Isn't that interesting that for the gifts of the Spirit, for the presence of God to flow in your life, he says, here's the equation. I'm a river ready to flow, but I'm, I want you to be zealous for me. I want you to burn with desire for me. I want you to pursue me ardently and desire me eagerly and intensely. Sounds relational, doesn't it? Imagine this. Imagine if we took, imagine if we exercised the same passionate zeal that we are exercising right now regarding politics. What if we took all of that zeal and passion and, ah, and we transferred it over into our relationship with God? Oh, oh, somebody just got slapped upside the head. See, we're all zealous for something and God wants us to be zealous for him. How do you think I got her? She was a wanted woman. And I pursued her. 
I remember after we were, we were, had a long distance relationship and, and, uh, we were on the phone for four months, right? And, uh, and I, I said to her one morning, I called her and said, you know, and you know, it was back then when long distance every minute cost you, right? Yeah. So, but that's what, Z, that's what love does. You will spend your money. You will say goodbye to your friends because you are going after her or him. You lose your friends when they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You know that, right? I mean, because your focus is just like, oh, I want that. Right? So that's zeal. That's passion. And so, but then I, I, I was thinking, whoa, this is moving a little bit too fast and too far. So I call her up. Yeah, four months on the telephone is too fast and too far for a guy who was 32 and single. It's like, you know, there's a reason I was 32 and single because I kept putting the brakes on things, right? But this one got me. Woo. So I call her up in the morning and I said, I think we're moving a little bit too fast, too far. I think we should pull back. She said, okay. I'm like, So I hang up. I bought myself some plane tickets to go see her by that by nightfall. <laughs> she reeled me in. So I want us to go to the book of Luke chapter 24 and I'm going to read a, a, an account of Jesus engaging a couple of his disciples. And I'm going to do something that I've never successfully done before in the history of 30 years of preaching. I'm going to read the entire passage without saying anything. Hey, it's a new season. We're in a, we're in a series on the power and supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Don't hold me to it. Luke 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. (laughs) Okay, listen. I made a mistake. I was supposed to set it up before I read. Because there are people here that don't know anything about what's going on here. So don't be so selfish. Let me set it up. For those of you that don't know what's going on in this passage, Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead, and his disciples are now saying, what happened to Jesus? Okay, here we go. Now behold, two of them were traveling, the two disciples, the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is it that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas Answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? Hmm. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests, our rulers, delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. 
Indeed, besides all these things, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, so slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Somebody say it for me. Wouldn't that have been amazing? This has been there. Okay. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he was going to go farther. But they constrained him. Saying, abide with us. For look, it's toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then, everybody say then. Then their eyes were opened. And they knew And he vanished from their sight. <laughs> oh, through that. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. And they told and, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in their breaking of bread. <sighs> there are two truths here. Gosh, there's so much good stuff in there. That was so hard. <sighs> I just know we wouldn't have gotten through it if I didn't just read it because there's too much good stuff in there. Two truths. One, God initiates Every spiritual encounter. God pursues you before you pursue him. You and I weren't even looking for him. And if we did begin looking for him, it's because he initiated hunger in our hearts. He initiated spiritual dissatisfaction. He initiated the thirst. He initiated our lostness. He got us into a... He initiated the encounter by setting up whatever was going on in our soul or in our life, to where we cried out to God. The second biggest truth, and that pattern goes on and on and on. Once you cry out to God and you give your life to His Son and His Spirit comes inside of you, He still initiates encounters. And the second big truth is, your response to the encounter dictates the quality of that encounter. Just like in any relationship, When your wife wants a date night, she initiates by giving you a little hint. We haven't gone out in a while. And you're watching the game and ignoring her. That's going to be a bad encounter. In fact, there probably won't be an encounter. (laughs) One husband says, whose wife happens to be volunteering in the uh, children's ministry, I think, or at least she's not here. He said bad timing on her part. So, yeah. 
So just in case Stephanie is listening to this message online this afternoon. So I know we talk a lot about pursuing God. And what I want to avoid is for for us to put too much responsibility on ourselves to try to have an encounter with God. Because God loves you more than he loves you love him. God wants to be in your presence more than you want to be in his presence. God is the lover. We respond to God's love. That's Christianity. God loves us first, then we love him back because his love feels so good. Everything we do is out of response to the, being touched by the love of God. We love him because he first loved us. God sent his son and died on the cross. And then that was his love. So we respond to that by giving our life to him. Then he responds by pouring his spirit into us. Then we respond by crying out, Abba, Father. Then he responds, right? Then we respond by tithing. He responds by financial abundance in our life. We respond by worship. He responds by his presence. And then we respond by forgiving people who hurt us. And he responds by a greater glimpse of himself. And it just becomes this initiation response, initiation response, initiation response. And it's just a, this is a life flow. So here we see these guys who are disillusioned. Their dreams have been shattered. They're walking down a dusty road, a seven-mile, hot, dusty road walk, and their dreams have been shattered, and they're sad. Jesus asked them, why are you sad? They were depressed. How many of you have ever been walking down a seven-mile, dusty road with a shattered dream, and you were sad? Just raise your hand if you've ever had that experience. All of us have. And Jesus knows it. They felt alone. They felt they were confused. They didn't know where Jesus was. We thought he was the Messiah. Oh, man. Right in the midst, right at the point of their deepest, darkest, most sorrowful, confused state. They weren't expecting an encounter. And Jesus just kind of comes out from nowhere, like from behind a tree. Kind of starts walking alongside of him. He's so Jesus. And he, 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 what does he say? He restrained their eyes so they didn't see him. Because he just wanted to talk with them for a little while. I think he enjoys, I think he enjoys walking with us. But here's what I love about him. He initiated the encounter. He Look, after he rose from the dead, he could have gone straight to the upper room where all of his disciples were gathered. But it's like he rose from the dead. He's on his way, I don't know, floating or something. I'm not exactly sure how he was getting there. He was going, And then he looks down and he says, oh, there's Cleopas and the other guy. You know, my, my disciple he goes, I think I'm going to go take a detour. And he goes, walk. he didn't have to do that. But he saw them. He felt them. He knew the state that they were in. And he wanted to saddle up next to them and just start conversing with them. And he enters into their conversation. What are you guys talking about and why are you sad? Sometimes you don't feel like God's there. I'm telling you, he's saddling up next to you. You may not recognize him, but he's there. And he's asking you questions. What are you doing? How are you feeling? Why are you sad? 
And he starts asking them probing questions and they start to process. Kind of like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. A woman who is despised by everybody. And Jesus saddles up next to her at the well. And he starts asking her questions. Gets her to start talking about her life. Isn't he wonderful? He does this all throughout the Bible. Moses in the desert. Moses thinks his life is over. His call from God is over. He was called by God to be the deliverer of God's people in Egypt. And yet he, he, he blows it. He blows it, man. And if you ever blown it before, just raise your hands. Anybody else in this room blown it before? I could be the poster child for having blown it before. And so Moses, 40 years in the backside of the desert. And all of a sudden he's walking through the desert. And all of a sudden there's a bush on fire. And it's not being consumed. And he knows the desert well. And he knows bushes. And he knows when bushes are on fire, they are consumed. doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. And so what does he do? He could have said, oh, that's interesting, and just walked by. When Jesus calls people, he says it in the Bible. Some say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm a little busy to go to church. I'm a little busy because I just got married. I just had a kid. Oh, I, I, my business is taking too much attention. I just bought some oxen. I got to go test them. Oh, my father just died. I got to go to my, the funeral. We all have so many different reasons why we can look at the burning bush and we say, well, that's interesting, but I just don't have time. And you miss a divine encounter. And God just lets us have free will. He lets us miss him. He'll come around the corner and he'll go, boop, do something else and Waiting for us to respond. What's, Mo, what's Moses do? He draws near. He goes, that's interesting. Every, in every encounter from God is an invitation for more. You're reading the word and all of a sudden it's like a scripture just kind of like comes alive to you. It's like, wow, I've never seen that before. That's interesting. Oh, I've got to go. I remember one time I said to the Lord, I am so dry. I am not excited about you anymore. I, I don't have any zeal. And you know what he said to me? Read the Bible one hour a day straight for seven days. And I thought, I would rather eat a bowl of rocks. That's the worst assignment you could give me when I say that I am not excited about you. Don't tell me to read the Bible for an hour every day for seven days straight. Anybody with me? Come on, be honest in church. No lying in church. The Bible can be boring. When you're not into it and you're just spiritually dry and dead, oh, come on. Thank you. Leave me up here flapping in the wind. So I said, all right, I'll do it. So I read for an entire hour, nothing. The next day, an entire hour, nothing. You know, your eyes are on the back of your head. Next day, an entire hour. By the seventh day, I could not wait to read the Bible. And I said to God, what happened? He said, you're asking for heat and you're not putting any wood in the fire. And he said this to me. The, the word is the wood. The Holy Spirit is the oxygen. <sighs> breathing on it. And the flame is revelation. Woo! So he turns to the bush. God invites, he draws near, and the bush starts talking. 
That's what you call more. <laughs> That's a little more than a burning bush is when it starts talking to you. <laughs> and he talked back, which, what do you do with a talking bush? I mean, I guess you have a conversation. And he ends up being the deliverer that they make movies out of because he didn't walk by. A lot of examples of this in the Bible. The disciples in a storm, in a boat, they're going to drown. Jesus walks on the water and he's walking toward the boat and it says he was going to walk by. Ah, Can I call him a goofball? Is that, is that irreverent? Well, I mean, he's just having fun. But it's, it's just who he is. He presents himself... And it's an invitation to more. It's an invitation to an encounter. He walks by close enough for them to see him, and he's going to walk by. And they cry out, and he gets in the boat. And it says they were immediately to the other side. I don't know if you ever catch that when you're reading that passage. It says they were immediately on the shore. What? You know, it says that they thought that he, they thought he was the Messiah. But then now they said, haven't you heard about the prophet? Then they call him the son of God. They called him a prophet. We thought he was the Messiah. Sometimes the trials in your walk, trials in life will beat your faith. And try to beat you down to a belief system that is lower than what you're happy with. So Jesus gives you promises. He gives you a word from God that you know is him. He gives you a dream, a hope, a vision. The Bible says that a dream deferred, a dream lost makes the heart sick. It is so true. We've all experienced that. I've had wonderful, wonderful, what am I talking about? Painful seasons in my life of sadness because of a, a, a deferred dream, and so have you. But Jesus is so, he's such a healer. The Bible says he's the author and the finisher, the beginner and the ender of our faith, of our faith. So when he sees that you've been punched in the heart, you've been ran over by a proverbial truck, and that your faith is on the ground, and it's been reduced down like theirs. He slides up next to us and walks with us and begins to talk with us. What's he doing? He's restoring our faith. He's giving you a, a new, fresh breath. He's getting you to believe again so he can do miraculous things in your life. Some of you feel like you've been pursuing, asking, seeking, but there does not seem to be a response. I want you, if you don't leave with anything else today, I want you to leave with this next thing I'm going to say. It's a scripture, so it's from God. Whatever you sow, that you will also reap. And do you know the beginning of that scripture says God is not mocked? God is not mocked. What you sow, you shall reap.
That's not always in a negative sense. In this particular passage, it was talking about in a positive sense. Don't be, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. This truth may have saved my spiritual life. The first thing I learned after I gave my life to Christ was Mark chapter 4, which is the parable of the kingdom of God is like a seed that is planted in the soil. And it takes a long time for the seeds to grow. Any farmer knows. I mean, you know, you, you get a little cup and you put some soil and you put a seed in there. And if you're expecting that thing to sprout in the morning, you're staring at it, staring at it, you're staring at it. You're going to throw it in the trash can. That didn't work. That's foolishness. A farmer wouldn't do that. A farmer understands the sowing and reaping process. It takes months. So when you fast and you're expecting angels to appear on the second day of the fast and it doesn't happen. Right? And we've been groomed now to be an instant society, instant gratification society. And so we throw the talent on God so quickly because we are expecting this drive-through experience. And that's just not God. God doesn't move with our culture. God is God. And so when I learned that every prayer I pray, every dollar I give, every person I share my faith with is a seed sown into the kingdom of God. And one day my harvest is going to come in. Can I hear an amen? Because God is not mocked. Whatever you sow into God's kingdom, that that you are also going to reap. And so... Keep sowing into your relationship with Christ. And one day you are going to reap. What did these guys do when Jesus acted like he was going to move on? They, asked, they, they compelled him to stay and he did. And what happened when they broke bread? What happened at the table? Their eyes were opened. Oh, man. That's good. All right. We got some preachers in the house. They believed he was a prophet. Their faith had been reduced, downgraded through pain. And confusion and suffering. Jesus saddles up next to him, which is an invitation for more. He starts talking to them. And as he's going to go on, they begged him, stay, stay, God, stay, stay. I want more of you. I want more of you, God, pumping that well. I want more of you, God. He said, okay. I don't, know. I don't think it was hard. Uh, you know, he likes to be with us. That's why he created us. He goes in. And because they did that, when he broke, had, broke bread with them, Remember, their eyes were restrained. Now their eyes are not because they pressed in for more. And Jesus says, I love that. Watch this. They're like, Jesus. And then he goes, gone. You know, he had to be having some fun, right? After his resurrection, you don't have to walk through a door. But he did, right? When he goes to the upper room. He could have walked in and shown the hands and the, right, the holes in the hands. and right. No, he decides to walk through the door just to freak him out. Right? And then when he goes to heaven, he starts floating up off the ground. He goes, see ya. He goes off. 
After he left, what did they comment on? He started with the scriptures. Well, he says he expounded the scriptures to them. A little Bible study. But after he disappeared, he, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked to us about the scriptures? That was their takeaway. An encounter with Christ. Not just words on paper. Not just a historical book. Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. It all came by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one that illuminates. The Holy Spirit's primary purpose in the earth is to reveal Jesus to the world. You can't see him. You can't know him. You can't believe in Jesus without the Holy Spirit creating that on in the inside of you. And so as we continue to walk with Christ, it's the Holy Spirit who continues to open our eyes more and more and more. And Jesus goes from the prophet to the Messiah. And do you know what happened next? Ah, oh, gosh, it's so good. They, you know, seven mile walk. That's a long walk. And they say to him, it's night, it's the, the sun's setting, the day's getting, the day's getting late, come inside with us. So the day's over. But after they get touched by Christ, what did they do? They returned to Jerusalem. They went went back seven miles. That's what happens when you're touched by Christ. Seven miles is nothing. Isn't that amazing? A 14-mile round trip. And they showed up going, Jesus is risen, Jesus is risen. How many of you need that back? Called first love. We get so distracted with all this other stuff. And our passion for Christ begins to get suffocated. We get vexed about so many other things. Pursuit of money, career. Things cloud our relationship with Jesus. What is in your life right now that is robbing your zeal, your passion, your time, your energy from your relationship with Jesus? Set it aside. Starting today, set it aside. And say, Jesus, I'm going to start carving out time for you. And he's going to open your eyes. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the ushers to start passing out communion. As they broke bread and their eyes were open, we're going to break bread this morning at the end of this series. And we're going to ask Jesus to open our eyes. But as they're passing out communion, I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what has taken the place of Christ's centeredness in my life?